Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well-known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Welcome back to another edition of Moving to Live. We've got part two of our interview with Miguel Aragoncillo. He is a B-boy. He trains B-boys. He works at Eric Cressy's facility. He works with people that move. I think in the first part of the interview, he gave a great uh, talk or answer to questions about how he got to where he was today in, the, in that he is very open about the fact that he wasn't the best uh, stick and ball athlete and was fortunate enough to be able to see breakdancing on television and said, hey, that looks like fun and recognized that that was something he could continue to move. I think what's interesting with that is so many kids, especially today with organized sports, if they're cut from a select team or even a just a town team, then they stop moving and go play video games. And he didn't do that. So Miguel, I want to thank you for talking to Moving to Live for part two. Thank you for having me. Um, oh, two, two points on that. Um, I played video games a lot. <laughs> And I mean a lot. I was almost at the point where I almost got paid for that before getting paid for video games was fun. Um, second part, yes, I was not the best. I was probably the worst uh, stick and ball athlete, as you say. There was a, a CSP softball team that we have. And, um, you know, you think you work at CSP, you'll be good at softball because it's like, all right, all you do is just swing, boom. And then you just field the ball. You know, there's more than enough players on the field, etc. I actually grounded every hit that I ever had, and I definitely was not going for dingers, but I knew I had a purpose. I'm like, all right, I can sprint faster than anyone out here. So every grounder, I beat out every time. So that's a, it's my little two cents there on that. <laughs> so you were a little better than you're giving yourself credit for a few years down the line. Well, I mean, you, you pick and choose where your bright spots are at this point. I think that's what it is. I knew how to. I knew how to be fast. I just can't coordinate my limbs to swing, throw like sports, really sports specific stuff. I think sprinting, I I can manage. 
I was fortunate or unfortunate enough, my first year at Little League, I did not hit the ball once. I struck out every time. And I realized in the offseason when my dad worked with me that the reason that I wasn't even fouling the ball off is I was closing my eyes when I swung or swung. It's amazing how the second year in Little League, how much easier it was to hit when the eyes were open and you could actually watch the ball come in. Mm. It's true. These are facts. So I, <laughs> I, I think I empathize or I, I see exactly where you're coming from. Oh, yeah. Definitely. We left off last time. You described you went to Philly for, for school. You finished with a kinesiology degree and ended up personal training at a medically based facility, which is obviously not where you are here. I think you hit on an excellent uh, point there. That you realized that Google could be your friend. And oh, if yeah. you didn't know something, you could find out the information. And I think that's a invaluable skill. I know my dad went to law school when he was 74 and he said the, the best skill that he got was he learned how to use the computer system to find the information on the law cases that he needed to know. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that's, uh, you know, those items are, again, a combination of things that, that happened when I was younger. Uh, I was fairly introverted. I was always shy. Somebody that was not good at sports, I mean, I'm not going to be extroverted, number one. And uh, number two, I just, I found solace in reading and found solace in books and creativity and these sorts of fictional books, uh, you know, Chronicles of Narnia, so on and so forth in terms of those kind of fantasy worlds. You know, video games was a big outlet for me growing up. Um, all these other ways that you can just like immerse yourself in a different universe. So what did I do? It's like, okay, if I'm in the real world at this point, not in a fantasy universe, I can still find answers in books. So... I remember looking at encyclopedias and different pieces of libraries and different areas just to find the resources that I needed. Um, and then obviously when the internet came about, it's like, okay, let's search for these things. Let's look for them. I think that's interesting. I was following a discussion on a forum among professionals uh, earlier this week. And the question was, do you read uh, primary sources or research articles? And one of the people posted that he estimated that probably less than 25% of strength coaches read the peer-reviewed literature because it didn't potentially apply directly to the athletes that they worked with. And I, I found that shocking and a little bit amazing, and I'm not sure if it's accurate. You know, I also posted something on my Facebook talking about – it was just an article, and I quoted it. It, it was talking about how physicians – there was an older physician, how he went to another conference of some sort, and he asked a, a group of his peers, I guess you could say, you know, whether or not they were younger physicians or older. And he asked them all, about 200 or so, and he said, um, does anybody here read the literature anymore? Um, does anybody even you know, try to keep up to date, emails, etc.? And I think the article said no for everybody for for every question that he asked. And but here's the other thing: I know individuals have these two really huge resources, maybe three. Alan Aragon's research review is one huge one. People sign up for that for sure. Um, Greg Knuckles has really really good uh, uh, likewise literature review, and there's a Brett Contreras uh, and Chris Beardsley research review as well. And I know people sign up for those. Uh, I'm signed up for one of them, not all three. That's a lot of stuff to read on top of doing my own work. But I try to keep up with literature myself and you know, doing all my own projects, et cetera. So I, I do my own Googling, et cetera, or uh, Scholar Google in this case. Um, it's just interesting hearing that because uh, 
you know, all the ideas that can float around nowadays in these strength conditioning facilities, whether or not you're, you know, a world renowned one or even just an up and coming one, people just like put things out there and they just expect them to work. But like, have you read the actual like literature aspect or, you know, understood the the pluses and minuses, the, the curves, this, the P values and so on and so forth. You don't need to take a statistics class, but you kind of need to know, is this really what it's saying? I think uh, what I find interesting with that is, is first of all, you clearly are not in the 25% that they were, or the 75% that the one person estimated. But the fact that from what you're describing of when you grew up, it, the, uh, the internet didn't really exist and then it came to be, where did the curiosity come to get the questions? Because I know there's so many professionals and not just in our field, but just across the board that it's, if it's not spoon fed to them or given to them, it's like, well, I don't know how to do it. It sounds like you were, well, I don't know how to work in this medical fitness facility as well as I think I should. So I need to find some information. You know, I, I have a lot, I have the fortune of, of having these kind of deep talks with, um, a lot of my close peers, uh, maybe I don't get these talks with some of my, uh, I guess you'd call like super superficial level peers or just whatever the, the phrase is. Um, I vividly remember asking two questions when I was like four, five, and six, one of the around that age group. Uh, I remember waking up super early one day just because five-year-old, you wake up at five or whatever have, whatever the time is. And I'm saying, why does the sun rise like this? I just remember that because I'm watching. I'm like, what is – how does this work? And then nobody's awake. And I'm like, why is no one awake? Like this is super cool. Um, I just didn't have the answer you know, at the time at least. I didn't have the resources. You know five <laughs> and then i remember in first grade so here the interesting part is this this sparked i think it sparked a really huge interest in science um it was the causality i believe that's the phrase i could even be wrong here between uh between rain clouds and rain so young kid you start to see okay it's dark it's cloudy it's windy a little bit and then rain happens you kind of get that but one day it was sunny and it was raining and there were no clouds or at least there were like, a, you know, partly cloudy, whatever word is. And I was like, I asked my teacher, like, why is it raining? I just couldn't put the two things together. And she said, oh, it's a sun shower. Like, matter of fact, like I should have known that. I'm like, what is that? So that sparked another kind of like curiosity. Um, it's just like me noticing these things. At the very least, and I don't know if I can like instill this in anyone that I interact with nowadays. If anything, I have to in, uh, instill it in like the younger kids. Like my uh, my grandma grew up uh, raising uh, babysitting when my parents were working and such, and uh, babysitting me, and my brother, and she continued to babysit well into her like seventies. So she would babysit kids when I was like fourteen, fifteen, all the way through college. So every time I came home after school. I'd be hanging out with little kids. So they would be asking me questions and then I would give them answers. So I guess in some ways I was still teaching even from a young age because I would have to watch them. They would you know, ask questions. I would answer them uh, even if they were like the most ridiculous questions of why, 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 why. I would have – I would still think like why is this? Why is that? And then I would give them an answer. I suspect there could be a long conversation on nature versus nurture and that innate curiosity of what makes people want to learn. I guess so. I never really thought about that last part until, until now. I know. Well, I've I've 
got a philosophy or I guess not a philosophy, just a theory. I just think that there's just some people who are just innately curious whether they're in education or whether they're the, you know, the guy who's out there working in the field. He's just, he's curious, you know, why does, why do the deer eat, eat this plant and not that plant? And I think some people have that and some people don't. Um, it sounds like you were given that gene at some level. I could, I could just see things like not, you know, not like uh, the sixth sense. I could see dead people, but I can just see details that maybe like everyone just took for granted. That's probably the, the biggest thing. So you're working in the medical fitness or medically directed fitness facility and you're, you're, lear you're learning more about it by using Google, probably quite a bit more basic than it is now. And yeah, what was, so <laughs> did you have the thought pre process? I'm really learning or wow, I really don't know a lot. Both. <laughs> I mean, they kind of go hand in hand, right? Like I, I, I a hundred percent knew I wasn't good, but the one thing that I, I kind of resolved myself with was if somebody has an issue, I'm going to try to do my best to like, make sure they're getting something out of this. Maybe it's like they feel better after working with me, even if I suck period. Like again, I don't think anyone works into the personal training world or, or fitness world, excuse me, uh, or both of them, I guess. And say, saying to themselves, I'm really going to work on this person's ability to get their psychological habits around fat loss, period. <laughs> like nobody works, walks in day one like that because they don't even know the words to think about. Um, they just know there's this person in front of them. They want to do X, Y, Z thing and you have to reverse engineer it. So I guess there was this kind of like MacGyvering around how to move on top of getting the habits worked around. So it's just kind of like – this this strange kind of world of, that you encompass when you're working one-on-one -on -one with somebody that I still live in to this day. And how long were you there and what made you decide to move on to another job? I didn't want to be a hometown hero. <laughs> I guess that's what it was. Not, not, there's anything wrong with that. I, I would love to be a hometown hero now for sure in terms of uh, helping out my family and such. But uh, I didn't want to be stuck, I guess you could say, because, I, again, I still had this thought process of I wanted to pivot. Um and one of the things that I wanted to do was I wanted to keep on learning. So, you know, ultimately it comes down to, am I going to keep on learning if I stay in the same place? And that's a hard question I had to answer. So Google led me down this path of going to T Nation. I kept on reading these things from Eric Cressy. I'm like, man, these are really smart things. You know, uh, he has all these really cool articles, so on and so forth, Mike Robertson, et cetera. And I'm reading these things and I'm saying to myself, wow, I would love to meet this guy. And... I go to the website, dig deeper. That's one thing I think I can always do is dig deeper into something. And then I discovered, yeah, he has this place in Massachusetts. And I'm like, I never even left the state without anyone else, just like by myself, which is kind of a daunting kind of task. Because usually when you go with, uh, go to a different state, usually you know, go on a field trip or you go on a family trip or, versus like, yeah, I want to go by myself to a different state and you know, potentially work there. Uh, it's kind of a very strange thought when your whole family lives within 30 minutes of each other. So, What was your family's impression when you said you wanted to, in essence, spread your wings and try another location? They said do it. Um, yeah, they're pretty encouraging. Uh, they knew that I needed to do something. So they knew that I was different, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah. And like we they, I think they knew that from when I was starting to dance. Like, the, let's be real. Like, they knew I was different from that point. So. And we talked a little bit about this off air. Uh, how Cressy currently hires uh, heavily from people who intern for from them. Right. So here, what you're describing is you basically 
deep dived on the web that said, Hey, this guy's got a facility in Massachusetts. I'd like to go. Did you say, I'd like to go visit it? Did you call him up? What, yeah. How did this work? I probably called them. I said, can I hang out for a day? And I, I persuaded my cousin to drive with me. It was my, it was my brother. I persuaded my brother to drive with me. Basically a field a road trip at this point because we never really drove that far, and we did a road trip and then it was a day trip. It was up and back in one day, and I hung out with them for two hours. Yeah, yeah, that was because I'm not going to stay there in a hotel. I didn't have money for that, <clears throat> so um, I visited them. I, I filled out the internship application, and I didn't know that I was going to get hired afterwards. You, you don't know these things at this time, and you, you know certain circumstances happened and. Uh, Eventually, I, I apply for an internship a year in advance because I said to myself, uh, you know, um, I'm a planner in my head. I want to have some type of plan. So I have a plan that if I'm going to do an internship, I can't just do it tomorrow. You know, at this point, I graduated college. The time for an internship was during college, not post-college, if that makes any sense for anyone. So I was already working for a year and a half, two years, and then I did another internship. So I did an internship during my senior year, uh, fall, spring semester, excuse me, <clears throat> of uh, my senior year in college. Worked for a year and a half, two years, and then did another internship. So I just knew that there was this potential for growth that I could not get during my time in New Jersey. So I think the question that people who have done this sort of thing want to ask is, so you're working for a couple of years and then you do an internship. How do you support yourself during the internship? Because you go from having a regular paycheck to most internships don't pay, or if they pay, they don't pay a whole lot. Exactly. So the, that's the other question that a lot I get from a lot of interns, or I even ask them, it's like, what are you going to do when you're here other than working? Um, so I've helped out with a couple of the, couple of the interns, uh, internship selection, excuse me. And uh, a lot of people don't know, but I worked during my internship. So I worked the, the whole the total period that I worked. I want to say 600 hours in four months. So if you break down that math, it was about I want to say, you know, here, here's the exact schedule. I, re I remember exactly what I did. Monday was 5 a 530 a.m. boot camp, strength camps, whatever you call them now to 1030 um, break for a little bit. I lifted during that break and then I worked from 12 to 7. I did that Monday, Wednesday, Friday. On Tuesdays and Saturdays, I uh, I worked for – so the, previous to the internship, I worked – I helped open up another gym in New Jersey by the Jersey Shore area, not where they did the actual Jersey Shore, but uh, where there was a retirement community essentially by, uh, we'll say, Highlands area, kind of where Bon Jovi was. Um, so I helped them out. So long story short, there was – this connection is, helps me with another connection. is trying where I'm getting at. So – with that being said, there was an individual who was the president of a beer company, and I was, you know, he was our client at the time, the the gym's uh, client. So I was talking to him, getting uh, connections, and he said, "Yeah, I know somebody up by your way." So connecting me with them, I got some part time work on my off days. So I would work for the part time beer company, just delivering stuff to whomever. Um, and I worked about 25, 30 hours on top of this, whatever the 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. schedule was. So I definitely worked. So you could make enough to survive, maybe not live luxuriously. <laughs> That's ex exactly the thought process there. 
you finished the internship? Were you offered the job immediately or did you go back to New Jersey? You know, I did the internship with the thought process of if you guys are never going to see me again, what is the impression that you're going to have? And on top of that, leave the place better than when you first arrived. So with those two things being said, I just, I didn't even, it then the thought never even crossed my mind that I want to work here. Um, because in my head, I, I had some directives. I had some, some direction with where I wanted to go with the internship. I wanted to learn to be a better coach, period. I wanted to know ins and outs of what they did, how, to, how they coached, why they coached the way they did, um, talking to the staff that was there at the time. Um, and then from there, I said to myself, okay, I might never come back, period. I don't play baseball. It, you know, like these things like never arrived to me. So with this being said, I kind of had like this, okay, this is the, I guess the kids call nowadays YOLO. It's like you only live once. I'm only going to do this once in my life. And then from here, I'm going to go back home and do the things that I do because now I'm going to be a seasoned coach, not just like some person that did personal training. So I'm going to feel like I know what I'm doing. And I definitely got a lot better. That's for sure. I got the reps in, so on and so forth, whatever the 10,000 hour rule is, 600 hours added to that. Um, and on top of that, now I go home to Philadelphia and then I say to myself, okay, now I have to work. And here's the interesting part for the next year and a half, I do an even crazier schedule than what I just uh, outlined. Meaning I have, instead of an internship, obviously, oh, excuse me, I did do another internship on top of that. Uh, this is the part that I probably should have included in the, the pre-made questions you had. Um, I, I later learned that there was a facility about 15 minutes away from my original home. I didn't even know it existed because uh, I, I guess we could say lack of advertising. Um, they're really good, and it allowed me to uh, further demonstrate my skills because at the time there was a coach who was leaving for the minor league uh, uh, baseball uh, strength coach position, and I, you know, I caught wind of that. Um, uh, I could see details, I could see the writing on the wall, etc. And I'm like, okay, I'll stick around. So what I did was I interned for them again. So I did another internship, about 300 hours this time. So I've already graduated college. Is at this point, it's three years removed. I did two more internships on top of that, working with athletes. And on top of this, now I just feel like I have so much more anatomy at my fingertips uh, in terms of helping. In terms, That's kind of the approach that we had. So long story short, I'm doing personal training from 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. I travel about an hour. I go to this other facility. I get whatever idea of a, of a training session in, whatever that means, like squat to whatever for 30 minutes and then call it because I'm already crushed from the day. And then I work with athletes from two to eight, and then I go home and write because writing is at this at this point, I'm using writing as a medium for income. So it was a little bit uh, I'll, I'll just say lucrative because it helped me in that front. So and writing meaning writing for magazines and websites. Yeah, writing for different websites. Um, it, it wasn't at the time anything. Um, Magazine-wise, nothing nationally syndicated at the time. Um, this was stacked before they combined with Velocity Sports Performance. Um, and I'll say I, I didn't get a chance to write for Teen Nation in its heyday, but I did eventually get to write for Teen Nation. And it, it was at this point just trying to write for whoever and wherever I can because that was another aspect. I saw everyone – excuse me. I saw everyone at CSP doing writing, and I was like, all right, I'm going to write, period. I, I just made that decision right there. Had you been a good writer when you were in college? 
here's another interesting thing. I guess I was okay writing because I really enjoyed these philosophical classes in college. Um, I, I didn't take honors English in high school, but I definitely enjoyed the writing process during those English classes because um, it was just another way to express. That's, a, that's really what it came down to. Uh, uh, there, there were rules, but sometimes those rules can be broken. So that's the cool part about it. And I was a pretty awful writer to begin with. That, I'll put that out there. I think the question from the story that you've told so far is, what were you looking to do? Were you just kind of saying, I need to learn more to be a, to be a professional, to be a coach? This sounds like a good opportunity. That sounds like a good opportunity. I'll do another internship because this is the case. Or was there an ultimate goal saying, I'm doing all these things because five years down the line or 10 years down the line, I want to be at spot XYZ or doing XYZ? For example, did you think you would be here right now doing what you're doing? You know, that's a question my mom asks all the time still even. Um, <laughs> and I don't think I have a good answer for that because it's it's always changing. It's always adapting. Uh, I think the one thing I said to myself early on in my life, uh, nothing against what my mom's doing, but she does a nine to five and she does other things as well. But I said to myself, I'm never going to do a nine to five because the idea of sitting down and just being on a, uh, not saying this is not a bad Skype call, but being on a call and then just having nobody listen to you essentially because you have hundreds of people on a call, for example, it's kind of frustrating because having the ability to be intimate and have somebody listen, not for me to them, but for this interaction, I guess we could say, for change to occur, that's really what I want in terms of uh, improving others, others' lives, period. So it comes down to, can I change individuals? How can I do it? And that question kind of spawned all these actions. Um, and I just know that there's no real boundary. There's no like, there's no defined like. You got to do this one thing um, in order to achieve this kind of question or answer that question. During this whole time, were you still working with break dancers, or were you starting to work with break dancers for the strength and conditioning in addition to your dancing? Occasionally, but it's it's really interesting because in in the in the break dancing world, the b boy world. It's a lot on, on respect. Like it, originally, b-boying started off as a way to um, essentially uh, express as an outlet because many individuals in the hip-hop culture is, – it's kind of the background of it. It's the dancing form, the physical format of the hip-hop culture. So you have rapping, you have DJing, you have uh, MCing, which is like the verbal rapping part of things, and then you have dancing. Uh, and graffiti, excuse me. Graffiti is the other aspect, the visual arts aspect. Um, so there's so many ways to express. Um, the hard part here is many people won't listen to other people because of a lack of, we'll just say, street cred or whatever respect. Um, and, you know, I keep on getting hurt. Uh, you know, during all this time, I'm still trying to dance. <clears throat> you know, this it's still kind of there in my head. Like, I want to dance. I want to do these things. Um I want to get better in these kind of thought processes of how to help other gets other individuals get better because that's another thought process that I believe I still believe that I can help individuals and I'm I'm starting to get there um, because imagine if you have a technology um, such as the internet and then you you have this in your fingertips you ha you've created the internet is what I'm saying and you are in the stone ages you are way too early for that time. 
or or maybe even more contemporary during like uh the the horse to car transition uh is something one of my uh uh mentors that I look to he always talks about the technology you have at your fingertips is much too advanced for the thing that you're trying to kind of live with in the realities of it. So for you in, to introduce the internet to individuals who don't even have electricity, well, what does that serve? It serves nobody. So with that being said, I think that the things I want to do for dancers, I kind of need to introduce them small bits at a time because I'm not saying I know more than them. Uh, the things that I've learned on a movement capacity are just like way over their heads. So I need to translate it to a degree. I think the question, I mean, you've demonstrated that you're starting to break ground in that. And I know one of the reasons I wanted to interview you is because this is something that's unique. How do you start with it? You just start with your friends. Hey, try this. Maybe this will help. I have a crew back home. I helped out uh, in temple. I made a, a group of, uh, We'll just say I made it the official crew. An interesting thing with uh, b-boys and dancers on a college level, it's hard to kind of get it going from the get-go. So what I did was I had all the paperwork ready. I said this. I want to set my mark for Temple before I leave. And there was no official group of individuals that uh, that was just there, uh, meaning – we would we'd be dancing in the hallways in the exercise science department uh, at, at like three o'clock when I heard the uh, not the bell. There's no bell in college, but uh, right when class ended at three o'clock or whatever the time was, I heard music in the hallways. I'm like, all right, my friends are dancing. I want to leave right now. So my teachers would say, are you here for dancing or are you here for school? And then I said both. And they didn't like that. So long story short, um, I knew that. I could help my friends because of this advanced information I'm learning. Even if it's something super easy as like the concept of foam rolling, whether you believe it or not, um, I know I've seen some really good results even just by saying, hey, just try foam on your calf. And it's like, wow, it's magic. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, I don't even know if I answered that question. but you, you did. And with the foam rolling, is it physiological? Is it psychological? And if it's the goal is to dance better, does it really matter? Yeah, it's just like it works in some ways. <laughs> and somebody some, somewhere will say, no, it doesn't. And the other person will say, yes, it does. But you're not hurting anybody by doing it. So potentially you're helping them. Exactly. And that's the kind of things that I think uh, individuals might be uh, ready for on a, le- on a level one basis. Um, yeah, I did help out my friends. I also had another crew that I helped out with that when I returned home for the second time after my internship. Um, Retro Flow crew, they, uh, we, we were a group of individuals and they, it, they uh, fortunately still consider me part of the crew even though I haven't danced with them in a while. Um, what they what they do is you know they ask me for help and it's like hey I have this thing hurting or such and such hurting like what do you think I can do and you know I have my own kind of like online thing going on now so I say, I shoot them some videos I say how does this feel how does that feel okay try this try that um, and then you know fifty fifty percent chance they they feel better or worse and then we can troubleshoot from there. So you're essentially doing the b-boy work organically, working with people that you know and hoping that by word of mouth and yeah. and the wonders of the internet and videos get it going viral that potentially more people will go and more people will grow and this can continue to grow. The, the interesting thing that I keep on seeing online in terms of the breakdancing, b-boying world um, is individuals keep on breaking down and reverse engineering uh, on a linear basis. 
you know, if you have this movement, if you do this next adjacent movement, you will by some chance, some random capacity, get the next movement. Um, or if you feel tight here, if you do this very simple stretch, you might get looser here. And sometimes, as I'm sure as you know from a very research-based perspective, I don't think it's that easy. And uh, what I like to think about is what can we do if we get somebody um, coming into the facility or coming see me in person and then saying, okay, let's do an assessment. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do a full-blown, like, you're real client and treat you as such not just like hey try some foo-foo thing so with that being said it's tough because um you know it comes down to like that respect and change the culture i remember talking to some individuals in the the, uh you know kind of off record uh not naming any names but trying to change the baseball culture it comes down yeah exactly it's like okay like how are you going to stop people from stretching how you stop people from doing dip etc so on and so forth well in this case you have to change the culture of of b-boying individuals like going out to party they like drinking they like doing this they like doing that and it's like okay how are you gonna change that and it's like it's not gonna be that that easy so one dancer by one dancer i would imagine yeah yeah the ones who listen how much does the working with uh professional athletes and working with people of a wide variety of ages and abilities from what you describe help with that, which what sounds like is your first love, which or one of your first loves, because you have knowledge of a variety of movements, not just dancing. The cool thing that I get to do is I get to see high level rotation on a day-to-day basis. Meaning I get to see guys who throw quite literally 95 or higher in our facility. Uh, you know, they're not throwing every day, obviously, but I did get the occasion for seeing guys who throw very, very quickly, and I get to see how they uh, coordinate their bodies. Um, So this spawned the question, if I sit here long enough and analyze and talk about it with so-and-so individuals, if I just see, okay, tangentially, adjacently, what are the common themes here? And then it's super interesting because things are culminating now because culminating in the sense of there's now this new – not new science. It's new to me because I wasn't introduced to it. Um, I'm sure individuals have been uh, on this kind of scene for quite some time. It's it's movement science Uh, and the context of uh, ecological psychology in terms of movement or even uh, what is the other contemporary phrases. There's a lot of different phrases of this, but – uh, just teaching individuals to move without giving them explicit instructions. That's what I mean. And it's super interesting seeing that. I think that's what some people term as play, isn't it? In some ways, 100%. Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, there's, a, there's a fine line when you play and then when you want to learn something that's critical to your uh, specific skill set. And you, you kind of have this pressure kind of put on you. So, uh, yeah. I think that's a very interesting concept and it brings to mind another question that you can look at is if you have kids that specialize at a very young age, they get to be very, very good athletes, but they don't move that well. And it sounds like that's something that being more aware of how you move and possibly even bringing into some of these youth sports, some sort of break dancing for a variety of movements. I know that's probably way out there could potentially benefit some of those young kids. Maybe it helps them move better in their sport, or maybe they learn an entirely different activity when they realize I'm not going to go play division one at this sport because I'm not good enough. You know, that's, that's, it's interesting because, uh, there's two individuals. I saw you, you interviewed them, maybe not individuals, 
one concept and then another individual is uh, Rick Howard. He mm-hmm. was actually a professor of mine in Temple. Um, uh, and he uh, actually brought me on to speak at the regional uh, conference in Pennsylvania and Newman University recently. And um, he's a big proponent of long-term athletic development. And essentially the fundamental aspect, I'm sure you could always listen back to that episode, is uh, fundamentals, meaning you just learn how to move your body. Now, there's a really wide research on this in terms of discovery learning. It's actually really cool. Um, It's guided discovery. uh, And and you just figure out different ways to move without instruction because actually the instructions, it's actually pretty interesting. I don't don't know how deep you want me to go in terms of these uh, uh, the scientific aspect, but the instructions might actually constrain you when you move meaning if i say something about okay i want your right foot to go here and then you put weight over there for example well what might happen is you might put your right foot over there but you might do so at a very small uh, excuse me a very constrained manner meaning you might move slower than i ask you to because there's so many moving parts it's like when you give seven cues on how to deadlift it's like okay well where do i start um in this case, this is me. Imagine me trying to do that in terms of dancing. Is that what yes. they refer to in dancing, or the or the visual arts people who, or mu- musicians, where they technically are very good, but they just don't have a feel for the music? Yeah, the, you, the, you know, in, <laughs> it's going to sound kind of uh, interesting. They they call you whack. You you memorize moves. You had choreography before you came into the into the uh, to the jam. Um, it's funny because I remember trying out for the temple choreographed uh, choreography team. Uh, I forget the dance team, whatever you call it. And I knew the moves in the like they taught me the moves like eight count and then another eight count. So it was a total of sixteen to audition. And uh, I remember knowing the moves faster than everyone else. And I also remember knowing the moves better than the people taught me because I'm like, wait, wasn't this move before the other move? And they're like, yeah, you're right. And I'm like, man, all right, you guys aren't even that good then because you don't even remember your moves. <laughs> Just because I remember having this thought process of I can discover how my body moves. So I can put like piece A before piece B before piece, piece like Z and then I can flip it however I want. Um, that's an interesting concept in in the b-boy world it's 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 flipping things so you see how somebody does something and then you take that like you physically take it and then you do it in your own unique and authentic movement signature kind of way um and i think that's something that's kind of lacking and that's uh, i can see that across many many different industries it sounds a lot like what you're describing is like a jazz musician who's very good at improvising that's exactly it that's the Jazz definitely has roots in hip hop. That's definitely sure. I, I took a jazz class in college, and it was super cool to hear. Like, it's like, yeah, this is literally everything that that I I surround myself with growing up. We've had the good fortune to be talking with Miguel. Let's see if I can get his last name pronounced correctly. You got it a lot of times. Aragon Silo. Yes, exactly. I apologize for the stilted nature of it, uh, but I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to Moving to Live. We found out how he started out as a dancer in middle school and high school and has progressed. I think the best part of the part two interview is him describing the fact that he did numerous internships after graduating from college because he recognized that he needed to expand his knowledge. I suspect from listening to you talk, you're probably still working to expand your knowledge. And if you could figure out a way to pay for it, you'd do another internship somewhere. Be interesting. 
I want to thank you. I want to thank you for taking time to talk to Moving to Live. I've really enjoyed it, and I think the listeners are going to enjoy it too. Definitely, thank you. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore mov2liv. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.